Welcome in to a brand new edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. And today, Bubba, it is one of our favorite topics. I mean, it really is. When you when you when you get on the big show or on our podcast and you start talking about UFOs, uh, people are always intrigued. Rick, well, it is a very interesting topic it is. because we see these phenomena and we wonder what they are and we look for a reasonable explanation and we can't always find it. And Rick, it's a global thing. It's yeah. not just a U.S. thing. Correct. And that's today why we have Philip Mantle with us. He is a well-known UFO expert, researcher, and author from our cousins across the water in the U.K. Yeah, so Philip Mantle, welcome to Rick and Bubba University Podcast. Good afternoon, gentlemen. My pleasure to, to be here. So you've, you've written the book, UFO Landings, uh, uh, UK. Uh, you also uh, are, are the founder of Flying Disc Press. What is Flying Disc Press? Yes, Rick. I mean, it's something I started in 2015 uh, while I still had a proper job then. <laughs> and it, it is my own little publishing house. And um, I publish not only my own books, but other authors from many different parts of the world. And uh, we have expanded to, to have Flying Disc France. So we get some of our books in French and flying this press Latin America. So even some of them make it into Spanish as well. Uh, but uh, at the moment, it's just me at flying this press here in the UK. Philip, uh, we want to get into some of the more well-known cases yeah. that happened there in the UK. But tell us a little bit about how you got into this. I know it all started for you around 1980, correct? Yeah, I mean, in... Uh, in late 1978, early 1979, I was interested in the subject, but didn't know an awful lot about it. And I went over the winter to work in what was West Germany. Couldn't speak a word of the language. So I asked my mum to send me some books and she sent me a box of books and they were all on UFOs. So, you know, <laughs> rather than sit and watch the German television and try and figure out what they were saying, I, I sat there reading these books on an evening. So when I returned home in 1979, I'd got a bit more knowledge about the subject. Now, I used to live um, about five miles from the city of Leeds in West Yorkshire in, in the north of England. And Leeds, as it did then, still does now, publishes an evening newspaper. It's called the Yorkshire Evening Post. And my aunt, who lived just around the corner from us, she bought this paper and she brought it round and she showed me a, a small ad, an advertisement. And coming up that Sunday was the formation of the Yorkshire UFO Society. So I didn't drive in those days. So I caught the bus on that Sunday into Leeds, found the location. The Yorkshire UFO Society was begun by two brothers, Graham and Mark Birdsell. And uh, I just felt I was a found my, my niche in life, gentlemen. Um, you know, I, I fell right in and they put on a presentation and that was me hooked and I was up and running. That, that's how it all began. So, so it, it continues, obviously, today. You, the, the hook, as we said, uh, was set. Do you know that we actually have a Leeds, Alabama? Yeah, not far from Not, not <laughs> far from where we are right now. So, uh, and, and probably uh, goes back to its origin, I'm sure, uh, in the U.K. Um, so let's, let's talk about where you are. On, on the things that you have been able to research, and, and like Bubba said, we'll get into some of the specific stories. Do you yourself, Philip Mantle, believe that we are being visited on our planet by, by something 
from another place. Do you believe that's taking place? Uh, I'm not convinced, gentlemen. I have to be honest. Okay. But, but then again, I don't rule it out either. Um, you know, I try to keep an open mind on this subject. You know, I've been involved for over 40 years. <clears throat> and I think sometimes if you if you hang your hat on any one particular theory, and the extraterrestrial one is still that, it is just a theory, that, uh, that knowingly or unknowingly, you, you tend to be a bit biased. You will filter out the yeah. information that suits your hypotheses, your theory. And you might tend to ignore some that doesn't. Like I say, you know, that, that can happen quite, you know, by accident, you're not, not intentional. So I keep an open mind. Um, the way I look at my role and, and others like me is that uh, we're much like the, the early um, astronomers, you know, they, they, uh, they, they stated for years, of course, that rocks fell from the sky and the scientific establishment of the time didn't believe them. I mean, if you look into the sky, guys, there are no rocks, is there? So how can rocks fall from the skies? Yeah. But it wasn't until the early 19th century when a, a spate of incidents in, in France made the scientists stand up and take notice. Well, we found that rocks do fall from the sky. We just don't know what they are, how this happens, where they come from. And I think we're in a similar position with the UFO phenomena. I think we can state quite categorically that the phenomena does exist. Uh, it is there. It can be studied. Um, but where it's from, the nature of its origin, it still remains elusive. So, you know, so long as we continue to study and add to the literature and add to the knowledge base, then hopefully somebody somewhere, someday, will make sense of it all. That won't be me. Uh, I'm, I'm nowhere near intelligent enough for that. But, I just, but we're all part of the puzzle. Let's put it that way. Philip, let, let me ask you this and, and kind of play uh, uh, theory here, uh, theoretical on some of this. If we are seeing this and if there is a, a group or groups that are studying us or, 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 or looking at us uh, much in the same way that we would look at something we discovered in the oceans or, or on another planet eventually one day, do you think that the, the odds that they would be just physical travelers um, from another place, or do you think that they could possibly be interdimensional or more of a spiritual type character that may be able to to move in and out of dimensions? That's a good question, Bob. I mean, what we've learned probably in this last 20 or 30 years about the universe as a whole is that it is much bigger uh, than we first imagined. You were talking about 40 billion light years across. There is an estimated 2 trillion galaxies. And within those galaxies, there's, I don't know what the next number is up from trillion digits. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of zeros. Yeah. yeah, gazillions of stars and planets. So whilst the probability of life existing somewhere has multiplied, the distances between us and it has also, you know, expanded. So I think that's why some researchers today are not looking at linear space travel, you know, uh, you know, if, if we are talking about extraterrestrials. And we'll have to visit this part of science ourselves 
if we want to expand mankind into the, into the universe. We can't go on linear travel because it's too far. We'd be dead. We'd never get anywhere, you know? Um, so they've looked at, like you said, interdimensional. I, I met some years back, um, he's well-known in the States, he's Professor Michio Kaku. And he talked to me in, in very layman's terms about other dimensions, and he was convinced that they do exist. And, um, and we coexist alongside of us. We've also seen in science fiction about traveling down wormholes and things of like that. But also what keeps cropping up is, um, is this thing about time travel as well. You know, perhaps the aliens are not alien after all. It's us from, the, from our future. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm not saying right. I disagree. What I'm saying is that linear travel, moving from point A to point B, is, is probably well, certainly ruled out for us with our current technology. So well, research, researchers have looked elsewhere. You know, I, I think because uh, like Rick and I both have a, a Christian faith background, and I think if you if you if you do believe in in the Christian faith and in the Bible, um, you you have to acknowledge that there are angels and demons and and things that are in other dimensions. So, you know, you certainly couldn't rule out interdimensional travel that way. And with the, the modern uh, discoveries we've had with the Hubble Space Telescope and our X-ray technology and our infrared technology, you know, black holes used to be theoretical. And now we're, we're seeing the results. While you can't see a black hole, obviously, you can see what's going on around it. And, you know, it, it appears, at least from the science I've seen, that, that we, in my mind, we've proven black holes exist. So if you do, that opens up the world of wormholes and everything else. So I would say really in the last 10 years uh, on the physical science side of it, we, we've moved uh, the needle forward on that theory, wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely. And, and, of course, if you are from a, a Christian religious background, and you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. I mean, we've realized, like I've said, science has shown us how big the universe is. And that's just a visible universe, gentlemen, by, by no means all of it. And I can't imagine uh, God creating this whole universe just to stick us out on a limb on our own somewhere. What would be the point of all the beauty in the heavens just for us? It would seem to be a complete waste of his time, you know. <laughs> uh, 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 it, and similarly, if you believe in evolution and the Big Bang, you think about that and the chemical components that make up you and I and everything else and everybody else are in abundance throughout the universe. So we're not that special in that respect. Um, there's a song, and it, you know, it says, you know, we are stardust. In other words, we're all made of the same thing. So either way, whether you look at it from a, a religious perspective and creation or from, you know, a science-based view and, uh, and the Big Bang and that kind of thing and evolution, either way, what, what a waste it would be if there was just us, you know, and there's all that empty space. Either way, to me, it doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah, one of the answers I heard to that from someone who shares a biblical worldview that was talked about, and they said, well, maybe God just needs the room. He's that big. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, we'll come back. We'll continue the conversation with Philip Mal. The book is UFO Landings UK, and we'll jump into some of the things that are actually in the book uh, and talk about some of the specific um, encounters and some of the, uh, some of the things that we have learned uh, and Philip has learned in his 40 years of studying this phenomenon when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so, Bubba, I don't know if Betty does this, but I will tell you that Sherry does. Hey, I'm headed over, you know, until we found fast, fast-growing fast trees. She would she would head across town. I'd go to some nursery. She'd go to some nursery. She'd get over there. Half time, they wouldn't have what she was looking for. Then she would get something. Well, I guess these plants will do. These trees will do. We put them in the back of the car. They fall over. There's dirt everywhere. You get home. Sometimes <laughs> they don't make it because they weren't in that good of shape. So let me take what, what is can be a lot of fun. Uh, and that is gardening and, and landscaping, you know, your your property, your home. And and let's simplify this by you going to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bubba right now. We're going to get you 15% off your entire order. Now, if you're looking for increased privacy, some shade, maybe add, adding some natural beauty to your yard, fast-growing trees will have the perfect plants and the expertise to help you find them and you're not wasting your time in lines. You're not messing your car up, hauling plants all over town. You order online or over the phone, and then the plants are shipped to your door in one or two days. Plus, their growing and care advice is available to you 24-7. You know, if you don't have a green thumb but you still want to do this and you need some expertise, you got the fast-growing trees team on your side. They're there to help you out. Uh, they, they, there's 1 million home gardeners that have already seen why fastgrowingtrees.com is the way to go. And, and, and I'll tell you, Sherry has loved this because it comes to the door, you follow their instructions and you really get to enjoy the beauty without all the disappointment. And of course the mess and the hassle and their prices are fantastic. Plus we're going to get you 15% off. If you go now to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bubba to get that 15% off again, fastgrowingtrees.com slash Bubba. Rick and Bubba university, the podcast, uh, really enjoying getting to know Philip Mantle. Uh, he's with us. He's, uh, he's written the book UFO landings UK. So Philip in the book, you, you said that, that you've kind of, uh, studied uh, in in the UK and also the Republic of Ireland uh, these different uh, sightings and encounters, and, and I noticed that that you said one of the criteria that you've learned is we put a little more weight because let's face it, there are some people out there that are simply making things up for attention. We know that, right? And and, and got to mark them off. But I have <laughs> interviewed, and I know you have too. We've interviewed people, and and. I'm going to ask you if you had a shared experience. I don't know what happened to these people, but they're mm-hmm. not lying. They, they they think that they had some sort of encounter of some kind. We don't know with what. Could be one of the theories we just talked about, or it could be. I noticed the closer the encounter, the the more weight that you're that you're giving what makes the book, correct? That's right. That's correct. I mean, um, you know, if we all see a little light in the distance it could be a whole number of things sure and we we know through experience gentlemen that most ufo sightings that are actually reported be it to me or anyone else anywhere around the world have a conventional explanation there's only a small percentage that you know still leaves us scratching our head now the late the late dr alan alan Hynek, 
he termed, um, he, he fashioned the term high strangeness. In other words, the closer you get to these things, the more people that observe it, if there's any, you know, documentation or if there's any physical marks in the environment, they're all layers of a high strangeness. And the stranger it gets, the more likely it is that whatever the UFO phenomenon is, the people in, involved have seen it up close and personal. It is the genuine article. So I stress that over and over again through, throughout the book, just how strange the, the high strangeness factor is. And, and it, it, you know, it is surprising. It really is. So what are, can you give us an example? Uh, and certainly we, we can't go through the entire book. That's why people need to get the book. <laughs> but can you give us some examples? Because uh, I, I know in our lives we've had people through different interviews, and there's some that just stick out. And obviously yeah. you wanted the book to, to feature those type stories. Give me an example of some of the things that, uh, that yeah, you researched. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hadn't been involved that long, and I got a call from a lady. Um, she just said, Philip, Philip, you won't believe me. You won't believe me. Give us a chance. You know, you haven't told me anything yet. So, you know, she lived just a few miles from where I did. And where I was born and raised, gentlemen, was in a, a, an industrial town. Um, the whole area around here was mainly mines. My father worked down the coal mine all his life. And she lived a few miles just up the road from me in a town called Normanton in West Yorkshire. So myself and my colleague, Mark Wilson, went to interview this lady. She had a number of children, and she said what happened was it was a beautiful sunny day. She lived in a terraced house, um, and, uh, and it was a cul-de-sac, so there was no through road. At the end of this cul-de-sac were some trees, a little stream, and a hill, and on the hill were some electricity pylons. And, and it was an elevated house, so you had to go up six or seven steps to get in the front door. Now, the children were outside uh, playing a ball game. It was a lovely day. It was just after lunch, because she was literally washing the dishes. And one of the children ran in and said, Mom, 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 there's an aeroplane crashed in the field. Wow. So she came out to the front door, and because it was elevated, she could see out across this field. She said, Philip, it, it was no aeroplane. It, there was this thing on the ground. It looked like uh, it was shaped like a Mexican hat, but it was a dull, silvery grain color. So she got hold of the children. So they walk down the road, down through the cul-de-sac and the trees. At one point, you lose sight of this hill. You go down a little dip, come up the other side of it, and the field is bordered by a fence. And they stopped at the fence, and this thing is still there. But now there are three humanoids, all in white boiler suits or coveralls, as you, I think you call them in, in, the, in the United States. They had a visor on. Um, they were so close they could see that they didn't have gloves, they wore mittens, and they were waving something over the ground. And one of the children tried to climb over the fence, but uh, this lady who was called Mrs. Westerman, she, she stopped him from getting over the fence. At this point, these three tall humanoids walked to the rear of this thing. It rose into a clear blue sky, stopped in midair, and shot off into the sky with, without making a sound. I mean, not, not a noise, nothing. I mean, to say she was bewildered, uh, it, you know, and Mrs. Westerman was married to a coal miner. She lived, Normanton at that point was a coal mining community. The mines have all gone now, but this is back in 1980. So we interviewed all them, all the children. They didn't call it a spaceship or aliens. 
Mark and I even interviewed one of the children's friends. He'd gone home for his lunch. When he come back, he'd missed it all. Uh, you know, and he was a bit upset <laughs> that he'd missed out on this. But what also puzzled Mrs. Westerman, uh, she sat down that evening and thinking, you know, this will be on the TV news. You know, we have a local TV network here. Nothing. She bought the local newspaper. Not a thing. She even asked some of her neighbours and if they'd seen anything and nothing. And there's a, there's a major motorway or, or a highway, as you might say, goes right past the town of Normanton. Thousands of cars, you know, uh, every hour. But uh, nobody, no one else that we're aware of seemed to have, have observed this thing. And that, like I say, puzzled almost as much as seeing the damn thing in the first place. And Mark and I looked into what it may or may not be, but they were literally just yards from this thing. And, you know, so the chances of them misidentifying it for something conventional is extremely low. Um, so we came to the conclusion that they were either telling the truth or they were telling lies. And we couldn't find any reason why they were lying. And like you said, you know, I, I too was brought up in a mining community uh, I, I knew people like this. In fact, the children were playing a ball game that is made up. You know, it's something. And I used to play exactly the same little game when I when I was their age. Um, it seems you know particular to this part of the country. And you know, it, it's a fascinating account, and I can still remember the look on her face when we first wrote about it. She wouldn't let us use her name. Um, she didn't want any publicity. She wouldn't allow us to take a photograph of her. And then a couple of years back, gents, just, just to bring it up to date, I talked about this case on a, on, a, on a podcast. I forgot to mention the lady's name. Just forgot. And I got an email a couple of weeks later from a lady in uh, New Zealand. And she said, Philip, I used to live in Normanton. I've immigrated to New Zealand now. What was the lady's name? So I said it was, it was Mrs. Westerman. She says, my best friend used to be called Westerman and she still lives there. I'll ask her if she knows anything. And she asked her best friend if she knew anything and her best friend, who's now changed the name because she's married, says, yes, I do know about it because I was one of those children wow. on the road that day and later interviewed by Mr. Mantle. She'd forgotten my name, you know, and uh, I contacted her and she confirmed a, B, C, D, E, F, G. She went, in fact, she put bullet points on an email to me um, saying, I saw this, 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 and this. Uh, and that's all these years later. And she now has her own family, of course. Wow. Uh, so, so, and they said that they, the, what, the, 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 well, I'm saying the word people, you said humanoid, but whatever the figures were, they appeared, they had a human look about them. Yeah. Two arms, two legs, you know, head, hands, arms. Um, not particularly tall, not particularly small. You know, they didn't notice any difference. And they were just there. Like I said, they were so close, they could see that their hands were covered by mittens rather than gloves. And that stuck so, out in their yeah. mind, that they didn't have fingers yeah. on them. They just had the thumb yeah. and then the, the cover yeah. the rest of the hand. I mean, they were, I've, I've been, I went, we went to the location because it's only a short walk. And, um, you know, they were literally a few yards from where this incident took place, literally, because it's, it's only a small location. Sure. And um, the, there is electricity pylons in the field. 
they go out to a local power station that's near here that's that's closed in this last couple of years, but it was in fully operated then. And there is nothing there. This is a nowhere, nothing place, you know. It's just a piece of grass at the end of someone's street. Uh, uh, and that is it. Philip, was there was there ever any testing done of the site uh, for, you know, some type of residue or fuel or radioactivity or was there was there physical evidence of, that where something had sit down at that no, location? There, there was there was nothing we we have their account and that's it but there is another case in 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 the book all right well stand by all right we if we if we're going to another one let's take a break right here because i want to hear this one we'll come back uh, and we continue our conversation with philip mantle he wrote ufo landings uk uh, and we'll continue this conversation fascinating when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so Bubba, this is something you and I've been talking about on the big show too. Ladder, I mean, I, we're in this situation. You know, as you age, uh, the price of life insurance. Hey, you, it's we've said it before. Insurance is what it is. I mean, when you do life insurance and you do term, you know what they say? We're going to bet that you won't die young. That's right, and we bet we do, and we bet we do. Yeah. So now you and I, they've they've won because we haven't. Uh, we're still here. <laughs> Uh, but some of it is just so convoluted. But uh, but ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba really simplifies this process. Now, listen to what I'm saying. It's 100% digital. There's no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. And when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, we're talking about just answering a few questions about your health in an application, and you just need a few minutes on a phone or a laptop to apply, Ladders, smart algorithms work in real time, so you find out if you're instantly approved. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime you want. Get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. The policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. A and A plus by AM Best, uh, and the customers that use Ladder have rated this experience 4.8 out of five stars on Trustpilot, and they also made the Forbes Best Life Insurance. 2021 list okay since life insurance costs more as you age go ahead and make the move and do this now it couldn't be simpler ladderlife.com slash rick bubba look at the end of it all we want to know if we pass how much money will be given to our family to take care of them ladderlife.com slash rick bubba that's l-a-d-d-e-r life.com slash rick bubba rick and bubba university the podcast uh philip mantle is our guest uh, the book UFO Landings UK, um, and Philip, we had we had talked about one story. Bob and I had a couple of follow up questions that fascinated you, and and these people continue to give the same account this many years later. And then you were going to tell us about another one. Yeah, Bob was was asking about the previous one if there was any physical evidence testing, etc. There weren't on that one. However, in uh, November 1979, at a place called Livingston in Scotland. Uh, a local man by the name of Robert Taylor was a forestry worker, set off to work that morning to just take a short trip to a place called Deckmont Woods, just up the road from where he lived. Got in his truck, it was just him and his dog. He got there, parked the truck, was walking down a muddy track, and, and he came upon a, a little clearing within the woods. And there in this clearing was this, as Mr. Taylor described, this dome-shaped object, it had some kind of flange around it. it, had little things sticking up that almost looked like little propellers. 
and it was sat there on the ground and he stood there and watching it. And then either from behind it or from underneath it, these balls rolled towards him. And these balls had spikes on. And he, he, he commented they looked like some of the sea mines used during the Second World War. Yeah. And because it was November, it was muddy, and you can literally hear them plopping across the ground towards him. Mm. They got up next to him, and he felt a tugging on his trousers on either side, and he passed out. He was out cold. When he came around, he had a funny whistling noise and a strong smell of sulfur. I think his dog was spinning around, chasing its tail, and this thing had gone. Now, Mr. Taylor staggered to his feet, tried to drive his truck home, but failed. So he walked home, he staggered down home to his wife, and she said, you know, what's happened to you? Because he was dirty. I think he got cut on his chin. And he said, I've been attacked. So she phoned the police. Now the police came. Um, they interviewed Mr. Taylor. He, he went for a checkup at the hospital. But what they did, they went to the site where this incident had happened. And in this clearing, and only in this clearing, nowhere else were sets of what looked like um, tractor marks. Uh, and then there were U-shaped indentations around this. So they sealed off the area. Luckily for them, it was cold that night and the ground froze, so it preserved all these marks. And the police launched a full investigation, including a forensic investigation, I might add, because Mr. Taylor's very heavy woolen trousers were torn exactly at the spots where he said these two things grabbed him and it went right through to his skin. So they drew a diagram of the, of the markings and took photographs of them as well. And his trousers were tested in the lab. There was a white powdery substance on them. They couldn't find out, you know, it was nothing out of the ordinary, but these, these holes in his, his trousers were consistent with, as Mr. Taylor described, of being grabbed all over, pulled upwards. Um, and, and the you know, there is a full forensic police report. And, of course, they believed him. He was a, an upstanding member of the community. No reason to lie. I got the, the opportunity to interview him some years after the incident when he'd retired. And, he, he, you know, again, his, his story never changed. And um, we have the photographs in the book of these markings in the ground, and the diagram made by the police and some of the police documents as well. And it is the only forensic police forensic investigation of a UFO incident anywhere in the UK. As simple as that. So whilst we only have one witness, what we do have when we talk about the, the high strangeness is these marks in the ground. And there's a lot of them, photographs of them. And of course, an official police investigation and their documents. And the officers involved have gone on the record, you know, they've spoken on TV shows and so on, and, and all confirmed that, you know, the authenticity of Mr. Taylor and what happened that day. And um, so, as Bubba was asking, the previous case didn't have any marks on the ground, it didn't have any checks done at the scene, but this one did. And it wasn't checks by UFO investigators, it was an official police investigation. And it's one that really stands out, it really does. Wow. Well, you would, yeah, but, but because, um, I mean, with all the, the stuff that was there and, and I guess, I mean, I, I know the answer to this or you, cause you would have told us, I guess when they said, well, let's go find, because the first thing you want to do 
with these, let's go find a logical explanation. Right. Is there some sort of vehicle that, that Mr. Taylor wasn't familiar with that maybe, you know, but it's still, and somebody comes forward and says, yes, that's our vehicle, or, oh, I know what these tracks are. This <laughs> is, a, a, you know, some sort of farming equipment that, that Mr. Taylor's not familiar with. Now, I don't know why you're friend farmer would send some spike balls after you to, <laughs> yeah. to, 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 to lift you in the air yeah. uh, and, and, and cause you to pass out. That doesn't make any sense. But I guess any logical explanation was ruled out. Uh, absolutely. I mean, my, my friend and colleague, Malcolm Robinson, uh, who's from Scotland, he was there, I think, either the next day or, or, the, or within two days of the incident happening, sat in Mr. Taylor's living room, you know, listening to, the, to, to him telling his story. And, uh, and he's followed it ever since. Malcolm has written a whole book about it. You know, I can't remember it. It's a great book. I just can't remember the title. But Malcolm and I, when, after we'd interviewed Mr. Taylor, just, just a little side issue, gentlemen, we went to visit the site. And um, in the clearing where this incident happened, the local council had put a, um, a picnic bench and uh, I just mentioned to Malcolm, why don't you get a brass plaque made and <laughs> yeah. just just screw it on, the, you know, the picnic yeah. bench. So Malcolm, to his great credit, took this matter up with the local council officials and they didn't get a brass plaque. What they got was a huge, great stone can, can with, a, with a plaque embedded in it. Wow. And in the last few years, I've also got uh, some signage telling you about the incident and pointing you to what, I mean, it's just a, it's just a small wood, it's Deckmont Woods, it's not a huge, great forest, but that, that all stemmed from that off the cuff remark that Malcolm and I made. And that's to Malcolm's credit. So it's now recognized by the local council because they put these things there to show you where it happened. And uh, for those, for those who want to look on the map where it was, it's sort of halfway between uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh. It's the town of Livingston and the wood is just above it. And it was a fascinating encounter. And Mr. Taylor, to, to, his, to, his, you know, to his dying day, never changed his mind, never changed the word of what he encountered that day. It is really, really bizarre. Philip, in the U.S., wow. there's been several examples or, or, or reports of people who were uh, uh, taken up or taken aboard a ship yeah. and... and basically given a physical, if you will, or, or some type of physical investigation, and the term little grays have come out of that. Uh, d- or do you have anything similar to that happening in the U.S.? I mean, in the U.K.? Yeah, I mean, because my, my, my first book, which I wrote back in 1994, although there is a revised edition I, I did a couple of years back, that, that book is called Without Consent, and it deals with what we call abduction cases and abduction cases only. And again, only here in the UK. And I was fortunate enough to interview many people, you know, up and down the country. That's what I prefer to do. One example, it's a well-known case, uh, involves, and it's got police related again, it's police constable Alan Godfrey uh, at a place called Todmorden in West Yorkshire. Now, P.C. Godfrey was on night duty in his patrol car and he, he'd been looking for some cows that had allegedly been wandering around the council estate. He couldn't find them. So uh, he saw an officer on foot patrol, had a chat with him and said, I'm going to take one more look for these cows and it's my shift, you know, my night shift finished. So he's driving up. It's about, I don't know, 5.45 in the morning, driving up through the town of Todmorden. He was about to turn right 
when he noticed a light up ahead of him and something made him continue. He didn't turn right. And at first he thought it might have been a bus bringing, you know, workers to a local mill. But as he, as he approached, it wasn't a bus. It was a thing either on the road or just above it, blocking the entire road. It was, it was a dark grain colour. He had a bank of windows or panels across the top, a bit like a, a, a child's spinning top. And the bottom part was rotating. So Pixie Godfrey had stopped his patrol car. He tried to radio through to the police station, but was unsuccessful. So he had a clipboard and he decided to, to draw this thing. And then, bang, the next thing he knows is several hundred yards beyond where this thing had been, now driving the patrol car, no, no recognition of starting it again. Mm. He turned around, this thing had gone. It had been raining that night, and where this thing had been above the tarmac, the road was dry. So we went back to the police station, and he reported the incident. Now, as Alan's getting changed, he noticed that one of his police boots um, was split underneath across the sole, which it hadn't been that night when he set off. And he got some kind of mark on the inside of his, 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 his foot, his ankle. Again, that wasn't there what, the night before. So he, he went on to make a full report about this. I'm, I'm, and six months later, um, Alan underwent hypnotic regression. Um, local ufologists um, hired two professional psychiatrists to conduct the hypnosis. And as Bubba was asking, on, under hypnosis, Alan describes seeing two types of beings, one that's almost pretty much human-like, but then he recoils at one point. He literally screws his face up. Ugh, ugh. Mm. And this what's up, Alan? And this is, it's them. And this what do you mean, them? This is them small creatures. And he described the creatures having a head, a bit like an old light bulb. You know, the old grey light things before yeah. we got all these yeah. newfangled ones? The little greys. Yeah. And, and that, that was, you know, Alan's gone on again to write his own book. And he's also recently signed a movie deal to tell the full story. But um, it's, again, you know, he was a police officer on duty at the time and in his patrol car. And Alan said, you know, if I'd have got out my patrol car and I'd have had a, a brick or a stone, I could have thrown it at that thing and it would have gone clank. So that, you know, that, that's how close this was. Um, that's not featured in this book, UFO Landings UK, because it's been in one of my previous ones. Sure. But it, it's nonetheless a, a fascinating case. And mm. one that Alan, you know, will still still stand by to this very day. We'll come back. We'll finish with Philip Mann on this fascinating conversation about UFO Landings UK when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, Bubba, you know, you've heard me talk about it on the show, I do not like boxer briefs. Uh, I don't like the way they, they come down on my legs. They're uncomfortable. So Sherry knew that I like Tommy John underwear and that we're on fire about Tommy John. Oh, yeah. and, I went in, and I went in there, and she goes, hey, I got you some more Tommy John. And I picked it up, and I said, honey, these are boxer briefs. I don't like boxer briefs. And she goes, well, I'm sorry. I said, well, let me – I'm not going to waste them. Let me tell you why I didn't like boxer briefs. I never wore Tommy John's boxer briefs because I usually That's, would just – That get could be why. I put these on, and I said – it was almost like Sam I am, uh, you know, talking to the guy. I said, I do like boxer briefs. I've just been wearing terrible boxer briefs. These are so comfortable. They're they're soft. They, they fit my legs fine. And, and the design really is quite comfortable. 
So I, I, let me just tell you this. If you're not wearing Tommy John underwear, your underwear could be so much more comfortable. And I know as dudes we think, well, who cares? No, listen, that's what you say because you've never worn them before. Um, I mean, they've got dozens of comfort innovations. Uh, they'll keep you looking and feeling cool. You know, we're heading into the hot time of year. Now more than ever, uh, you should get Tommy John's so you can enjoy summer and not be miserable. Uh, and, and, look, you and I are two of them. They don't have customers. They, they have fanatics. And, and we love them. So you will, too. It, they'll make you feel cooler because you actually are cooler. Uh, and and it, they're up to seven degrees cooler than, uh, than cotton in, in the, the Tommy John's Apollo underwear. So, so look for those. There's all kinds of cool innovations there. And they're designed to fit me in the way God made us. So go to TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba right now for 20% off the first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba for 20% off your first order. Bubba, believe it or not, we're we're five minutes. I mean, we're wrapping up with Philip Mantle, uh, UFO uh, landings, UK. L- let me ask you this, Philip, because I know your book doesn't specifically address this, but has the military had encounters there? Because we we've recently had information declassified here in our country, and I know you've probably followed yeah, it. Sure. Uh, what is now being called the Tic Tac UFOs, where we have fighter pilots who are following these things. And we have uh, video, we have audio, we have radar, uh, and you know the Pentagon has said we just don't know what they are. Has has the military had encounters like this in the UK? Absolutely. I mean, uh, <clears throat> again, he's not in the book, but I, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Wing Commander Alan Turner, OBE, and Alan back in the nineteen sixties uh, was in. He was in control of all the military radar here in the UK when he was on duty. He was on duty one day. He tracked six targets, six unknown targets, over mainland UK, and they were also confirmed on other radar systems and even Heathrow, which is the, the you know the um, passenger uh, airport. And um, I asked the wing commander about how, how did these things manoeuvre through the sky, and he said it wasn't so much the speed at which they went from A to B, it was their rate of climb that, that really puzzled him. Now, just to give you an idea, when, when the wing commander was in charge in these days, his security clearance was so high that when the U-2 spy plane came into refuel in the UK, he was notified of it. And as you know, gentlemen, that was the most mm-hmm. secret aircraft in the world at that time. Yes. And, it, and he was on the to-know list. And he said, Philip, I can give you a list of what these things were not. But as to what it what they were, your guess is as good as mine. You know, uh, and, you know, and he told us that in, in no uncertain terms. So, Philip, uh, that, that's right. That's the process. First of all, let's rule out what, what it could be. And he said, I, I've looked at everything it could be. Uh, and it isn't any of those. Tell us how, Philip, with just a, a couple of minutes left, how do we get the book? All, all the standard places are, are – I'm going to let you decide. What's the, what's the best location yeah, yeah, for us to go look just, at your work? Yeah, just look at Amazon, you know, UFO Landings UK or my name, and you'll find it. I also have a little blog, and it's simply called flyingdispress.com. It's dis with a K. You'll find me there. I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook. 
So I'm, I'm easy, easy to locate, gentlemen. I'm not, I'm, I'm not some little hobbit hiding away in the wilds of West Yorkshire. You know? <laughs> well, Philip, we may want to holler at you again. Yeah. And, and I think anyone who's interested in the UFO phenomenon uh, that, you know, even here in the U.S., uh, maybe that has, has looked and studied at that, but doesn't know that much about worldwide cases. This, this definitely would be an add to their bookshelf. And, uh, and, and we may want to get with you again when some of these things come up because uh, so much information has come out here in the U.S. in the last few years, uh, and a lot of it around the Tic Tac uh, yeah. sightings and, and the Nibbit signing, sightings uh, out uh, off San Diego. And, and there's so much documentation with it. And we've interviewed some people in the highest levels of the intelligence community, and and they, off the record, they're just saying they don't know what it is, and they don't think it's our stuff, and they don't know whose it is. But it appears that it, that even uh, countries like the U.K. And, and China and even Russia are also having similar reports, and nobody seems to know what's going on. Absolutely. And like the wing commander said, I'll give you a list of what these things were not, um, but what they are, your guess is as good as mine. And that, that remains the same today, gentlemen, as it did then. Yeah, and that's that's really the conclusion, as Bubba just said, we've come to here in the United States of America, too. UFO means we just don't know what it is, and, uh, and we have things that are just going to stay in that category until hopefully one day we have an answer. Philip Mantle, thank you for being with us today, brother. Thank you so much. Right. My pleasure, gentlemen, and and thank you. And thanks to all of you for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Nice work, Philip. Thank Thank, you so much. Yes, thank you so much, sir. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen, and the pleasure's all mine, I can assure you. I'm even going to buy some of those underwear. (laughs) (laughs) You'll love them. Uh, So, yeah, let's keep in touch. I hope we get to talk again. Thanks, Philip. Thank you, gentlemen. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.